0: Brody.
1: Welcome to episode 11, everyone, of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. We have had five episodes since I have spoken to you last. We had Tony Gentlecore, part one and part two, Dr. Stuart McGill, part one and part two, and Dean Somerset, uh, who we elected not to go into two parts, but we covered so much information. In these five podcast episodes, there's so much to go over, but today is going to be a little bit of a different type of wrap up. Instead of going through and, and giving you audio clips, I'd like for you to go back and listen to those because there's so much to pull out. It would be another part one, part two wrap up, uh, but also because there's a lot that we've learned about in the last couple of weeks, which I've actually come into practice even more so at higher levels than I have before, uh, because. For those of you who follow the HV Training Facebook page uh, and Instagram, know uh, I actually tore my meniscus a couple weeks ago in a warm-up of all things. I was on the AstroTurf doing a warm-up exercise. Nothing aggressive, nothing you know, nothing flashy. I was just an overhead med ball slam to the side. And Being on AstroTurf, my shoe stuck and I could feel it. I identified it right away. Uh, it was an upper body workout. It was an upper body day, so I wound up continuing the workout, finishing it, uh, treating it, and it's been a roller coaster ever since. So I've actually been off the bike. I am putting on the uh, no-ride kilos. Got a nice one and a half going, but cleaning up the diet... And lots of stuff is going on with that. So what we're going to do today, we're going to try and tie in some of the lessons that we've learned from Dean, Tony, and Dr. McGill here as to injury rehab and helping your athletes get on as well as sharing uh, a little bit, you know, the mental, it's tough, it's mentally tough and why sports psychology can and should be at the core of your practice. So for those of you who have taken my strength training for cycling success course on training peaks or the strength training for triathlon success course, you know that I devoted quite a bit about the athlete intake and how you know the one thing you don't ask in the intake, or most coaches don't, and why that's important. And that question is, tell me about a time where it was very challenging and what you did to get over, around, or through that obstacle. This is really important. We really need to make sure that we're getting to know our athletes, not just from a spreadsheet, not just from their testing, uh, but actually getting to know them as human beings. I have a number of athletes who are professional, -professional, semi-professional, and recreational. And each one has a different psychological makeup in that they deal with challenges and problems differently, and their motivations are very different. So one in particular, or two in particular, I can think of right off the top of my head. Uh, they always struggle when their team managers or organizers say to them, "What you know, we need uh, hard set goals, and you need to give them dates because if you don't have dates, you're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna accomplish them." And and that's not how these athletes tick. These athletes tick with, "How can I get better?" Yeah, it may not have been my best performance today, but what can I do better? What didn't go right? What did I do right today? Okay, great. I went out for the first race in the spring in Northeast, and it was cold and rainy and wet. I got the right tires. I got the right pressure. uh, I got the right... Clothing. What did I do wrong today? I just had an extra piece of sausage with breakfast, and it didn't settle in my stomach, even though it was delicious. And that was my race. You know, so they're not looking at, oh well, I I DFL'd or D, De- you know, I didn't finish uh, because I ate that. They're okay. What can I learn out of this? And this is something that uh, great coaches, in my opinion, all great coaches teach uh, across the board. And perhaps this is one of my many secrets to success is uh, having read uh, a number of John Wooden books uh, at the beginning as a very young basketball coach, you know, coaching uh, middle school kids and then high school kids. Well, actually, it was high school kids and then middle school kids by the time I was doing it uh, almost full time. And this is something I'd like to to. I guess really implore you because I think it really is missing enough in the coaching practices today where everybody's focused on power numbers or heart rate numbers or numbers on a screen. These are fantastic, but you're forgetting the human element. And this is very, very important. And on my own journey, uh, a couple weeks ago, about five and a half weeks ago here, I actually tore my meniscus uh, warming up of all things, nothing flashy, nothing crazy, very lightweight, Doing an overhead medicine ball slam, uh, warming up to shoot some videos for the HV training, strength training uh, athletes, and to do uh, my own workout. I was just—it was stupid. It was one of those stupid things. And I've had a number of athletes come to me where I ask them what happened, and they're like, they're embarrassed. You know, it didn't happen like squatting 120 kilos, or uh, it didn't happen deadlifting, or it didn't happen setting a new PR on the bike. It happened as I was rolling home after my, you know, endurance ride, and I just kind of slipped on on, you know, wet paint on the ground. I, it's just stupid. Uh, I've had a number of athletes like that. So I, I was warming up to shoot some videos, um, the tech, technique videos for my athletes. Uh, I felt great actually. Once I got into the gym, getting into the gym was a struggle that day. Uh, I felt great, and uh, I warmed up on AstroTurf because my normal warm-up spot was taken by somebody else, and I'm easy, man. You know, we all have, and if you've ever been in a gym, you know, there are certain people that are always at the same place. I am that person, but I'm not a douchebag about it, uh, to put it in nice terms. I'm not a jerk about it. You know what? The gym is not mine. I don't own it. I will go, and I will move my warm-up because you're allowed to be there also, and and if someone were to look at us, if someone were to come in and say, coach Brody, why didn't you ask them to move? You know, the lady's in her forties and it's her, you know, maybe your first time here. I was like, exactly. And it's exactly the reason I didn't ask her to move because she should feel as welcome here as anybody else is. So it's not my gym just because I warm up there and you know, I warm up there and I've asked you to move. That was after I got to know you. Uh, and I really needed the space because I needed to X, Y, and Z. Anyhow, uh, that's, that's the thing is, the injuries happen and honestly I can I am very honest with myself just as I ask my athletes to be and sometimes it takes some time to process the feelings of the injuries but to be completely honest um it's really hard it was really tough for me cuz uh the first 2 or 3 days I'm like okay all right, I, I know what it is. The, the signs and symptoms are exactly this. It's meniscus, nothing else. All right, we're all right. We're all right. We'll, we'll take four to six weeks back off on the weights. I need to be careful about the bike because of the extreme range on the knee, but I'm going to be okay. And then things happened. Uh, I was actually supposed to go to Spain to coach the Velocious Training uh, Camp in Mallorca. And uh, the morning before, I woke up in the morning, and I, and I had done everything right. I really mean it. I had done everything right. I had gone to the physical therapist within 48 hours uh, once I realized it wasn't just a small one and it didn't go away the next morning, but I still had localized swelling, a locali- little bit of localized pain, uh, loss of range of motion a little bit, uh, treated it right. I have the muscle activation technique specialist here in uh, in Tel Aviv help me out. He's the only one in Israel, actually. Uh, uh, Jose is his name. Uh, he's actually a previous intern of mine, uh great kid, uh, great guy at this point. Um, and the thing is is that you can do everything right and there is always going to be an unknown. And this is the same with our training. We all know that we put together the best training plan, the best in the world, like I am proud of this. I have done that, especially at the beginning of my career. I am like, I am proud. I balance their work, I balance their social life, I balance their, the wedding their friend halfway across the country and then you get into it and the athlete just doesn't feel good or something happens or uh, the bike needs to go in for maintenance and their backup uh, bike, something's wrong with the the wheel. It's always going to happen. So I, so it was. I had the MAT on Tuesday. I felt amazing. And usually after a treatment of MAT, and I know my body very well, and that's not to brag. This is this is me building up years and listening to my coaches and my mentors of getting to know my body. Meditation, uh, practicing the exercises and thinking about the different striations of the muscle, where the tendons are, the ligaments are. So getting to know what I'm doing within my workouts. Uh, same on the bike. If I shift here, it's going to do... Point being, I went, I did MIT on Tuesday, I felt amazing. My wife came back from work and and Tuesday night, she's like, wow, maybe you can even ride the bike in Mallorca, because I wasn't planning on it, because I know that that extreme range is not necessarily good for meniscal tears uh, at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I should ask them if I can get a rental bike. I'll put it on my list for, you know, Wednesday morning, and I was due to fly out Thursday afternoon. Well, Wednesday morning, I woke up, you know, kind of wiggled my toes, rolled over, and as I went to roll over, the knee <laughs> subluxed. Everything just moved. The tib-fib joint just shifted, and I was stuck there. It was the most painful thing that I have had uh, since my hip went out. Uh, it is extremely painful. Um, so long story short, when up, going back to the physio, took a look at it, and we made the decision, you know what, let's come back tomorrow. Let's see if you can do it or not. And that was that. Uh, there goes my orca. And it was tough. It was a very tough week. And this is something I'm telling you because this story that I'm going through is very important because there's a lot of things that I've gone through that I I want to share with you. Number one is that uncertainty. We go from being highly driven people um, to get out on our bikes, to go to the weight room, to keep ourselves physically ha- healthy and happy. And what happens is we become very goal oriented. This is one of the many things that's fantastic about endurance sports goal orientation, even if it's not on a set date at a set time. And I have athletes like that. I have a number of athletes at all levels, uh, recreational, amateur, and, and truly professional or the team managers or, or uh, other people on their team say, well, you need to give us, a, you know, we're doing a team goal setting for the year. We need a goal with a date and we need to have it set. Even Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn, who I, I love and Les Brown, they all say put these things down. Jim Carrey has a story about how he wrote himself a check for $3 million and dated it a year from then and that he was gonna buy that specific house where he was sitting in front. And it, you know, a year later, he wound up getting his first contract. He happened to be sitting right up the street from that house and he opened, he found the check by chance. And yes having those goals and those dates is important, but there are also people who look at it more from who can I become? What do I need to become to be successful? And that's very much what the injury rehab is about. And a lot of people miss that. They say, you know, the doctor says six to eight weeks, I'm going to be back on the bike in six to eight weeks. Had I taken that approach, I would be even more screwed than I am right now (laughs) because I would have gotten on the trainer two weeks ago and it would have made it even worse. And this is something that we actually spoke about with Uh, Dr. McGill in part two is there's a change in mechanics um, that happens to the joints when there is a type of damage because the stress will migrate um, from one tissue to the next. As that happens, the mechanisms that affect that specific joint are going to change. And those changes aren't necessarily good. Now, here's the thing and, and how I grew up with dealing with an injury like this. So within 48 hours, I was at the physical therapist. Uh, I was still very upbeat, looking forward to getting things checked out, getting it moving. Uh, 48 hours after that, so four days after the injuries, when my knee first dislocated or or subluxed, if you want to say that, huh? slid out of place, whatever you want to use it. It wasn't right. It wasn't moving well. I couldn't move it at all. Um, so from there, it was, okay, now this is getting serious. So now we have to set up a appointment with the orthopedic surgeon, which was the soonest one was three weeks. So I was like, okay, we need to figure out how to keep the muscles moving. And we need to figure out how to keep them protecting the joint. Remember the number one job of a muscle is to protect a joint. Number two is to stabilize the joint while an adjacent joint moves. And number three is to move a joint. So if you've taken either of my courses, strength training for cycling success, Or strength training for triathlon success on Training Peaks University. You have heard this a thousand times at this point. Maybe not a thousand, 13 in strength training for cycling success, and about 27 or 28 in triathlon success. Yes, I'm a dork. I counted it. That's a lie. I didn't really count it, but that's what it feels like, right? So, number one is to protect a joint. We have to remember that. And when we stop using a muscle there is going to be a loss of muscle um, loss of muscle strength then a loss of muscle mass and it can happen fairly quickly because the body's going to try and repair itself. Now what's interesting about this is that this injury is very similar. Uh, a knee injury, a meniscal injury is very similar to what Dr. McGill and I spoke about in part two, which is mobilization is not always going to be the answer. You know, a lot of physical therapists and I have had two, not one, but two athletes within a week before we actually recorded that. That had gone to physical therapists, and both physical therapists had tried to get them to go into flexion, when that was a pain-causing movement. They said, "Oh, you're a cyclist. Oh, you're a triathlete. We're just going to put you on the bike. Go for a sixty-minute endurance ride." And they came back after ten minutes, and they're they're calling me, I'm like, "Dude, I I can't pedal. I can't pedal. I'm in so much pain. It's worse than it initially came on." It's like, "Who told you to ride your bike?" The therapist. Oh lordy, what are you doing? So the same thing with my knee, uh, mobilization was not the answer. So coming back from the MAT specialist, like I said, felt great. I was moving. I was walking downstairs. I actually had to hold myself back from, from literally jumping because I felt so good. And the next morning, wake up, roll over crack. That's it. And we have to remember that, that these tissues are going to respond very differently. And this is what's happened in the five and a half weeks since that injury. Uh, the joints acting differently, it's being protected a little bit. I've lost a literally half of the muscle mass off of that leg. Uh, and I've been able to maintain the recruitment of the different muscles. But after the work with the MAT specialist here and also going to the physical therapist, we now know that if I release my adductors, I'm going to sublux it again or it's going to move. And that's not good. So all these people out there who are telling you, oh, you just need range of motion, you just need range of motion, you just need range of motion, foam roll and stretch, they're not really right most of the time, because as Dr. McGill and I had some good laughs, it depends. That was the name of our first episode here. It depends. The answer is always going to depend and it's always going to change. Where is the athlete mentally? Where are they physically? How are they resting? How are their energy levels? How are their nutrition? All these things tie in together. And it's frustrating. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I have had about four days in these five weeks where I was really down. Uh, the first one was the day I was supposed to be in Mallorca for the kickoff of camp. That was really mentally challenging, and I was angry. And this is part of the normal injury process and coping process. But I was very angry. I didn't really need to do the workout. I could have done the videos from home. Why did I do the workout on the on the on the astroturf? I know better than that. And she's new there, so I didn't ask her to move. And You know, why did I even do that in the first place? I didn't really need to do that. I just needed to do a a light lift, and then I could have come home and spent more time getting ready for the camp, and it would have been better. Every single athlete is going to go through that. If you are a friend of an athlete who's going through an injury, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one is visit them. If they live far away, call them. They'll probably ignore your call, so text them. Send them something that you know that they can read. You can also check and see when they've read it. It's a very hard process to go through an injury when it's not something catastrophic. And I know that sounds really messed up. When it's a catastrophic injury, where you're in a race and you come on clip to crash the bike and have a concussion, it's, all, it, it's almost easier to deal with because you're like, I was racing. I was pushing the limits and that's a risk. And you'll still be angry. Like, why did I do that? Why did I take that turn that way? But I found across my my 20 years here in athletics or being involved in some type of competitive athletics... That when it happens like that, the regret is more of why weren't my skills or why did I make that risk? Whereas when we do it with something silly like this, it's, was that really necessary? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? And it's very, very difficult to get out of that if you're not careful. So uh, just a word of advice. If you're a coach to someone who's been injured... I personally try and up the, the text messages after the initial call. Uh, nobody's perfect, of course, so things happen. But I try and keep in touch. If I hear somebody had a crash or somebody's not feeling that well, I give them a quick call. Hey, just want to make sure everything's okay. And I even send them a card. Uh, so if they don't really want to talk, I'll send them a, a card in the post, in the mail. And this is important as coaches, is that that connection. And we need to make sure that we are helping them recover, not just physically, but mentally. And that second part is really important when we are mentally positive and we have a good mental outlook the recovery process is easier and if i'm not mistaken and i may be mistaken it does it has happened once before i remember what it feels like and it's not necessarily a bad feeling but if i remember correctly uh, there are also studies that show a positive outlook has can help significantly decrease recovery time anywhere from between 5 and 12%. that's significant. so really important that we're treating not just the injury site itself, but also the injury. Now, the second parable uh, here of this story, the next second moral, I should say, of this story is to get a number of opinions. Uh, I had a friend who's a physical therapist who happened to be uh, around, kind of take a quick look at it. And it's like, yeah, it's meniscus. Okay, cool. Uh, Went to another physio uh, who I like, uh, and I wound up staying with him. Uh, because we were both on the same page don't just go with one doctor or one physical therapist if you don't really like the course of treatment or you're not really sure or you just don't know it's okay to go get a second opinion it is your body you only get one and I stress that with <laughs> each of the physical therapists and the, the surgeons I see and I talk to and the doctors this my body is my job my body is my whole life so we're gonna make very conservative choices unless it requires aggressive like God forbid there's some type of infection or something that needs to be done. Yes, let's get rid of that very quickly. But it's important that you're also prudent. So putting off the decision too long can also hurt you. So in my case, it's one of those things that it's earning the capacity of the body to push your specific sport. So for me, my sport the last couple of months has actually been more strength training, uh, much less bike riding. Why did I do that? My hip was starting to bother me. I need to have this yin and yang for how much I lift, how much I ride my bike to keep my hip moving healthy and well. And I earn the capacity to be able to jump, squat, and move a lot of different weight and also to put on some body weight. And that's okay. But when it comes to our injuries, we have to earn the capacity in the body to recover. And this is where a lot of cyclists and triathletes go wrong. We're like, oh, the, the doctor said that I, I need to be in a brace, but I'm just going to start walking around on it instead. Like, dude, the brace is there to help support you. And and I am someone, someone said, but you tell me never to wear the ankle brace. I'm like, because you're running, you need to strengthen. Well, that's what I'm doing now. The tissues need time to respond and the tissues need time to rebuild, specifically the white tissues of the body. The white tissues of the body, the ligaments, the tendons take longer to repair themselves because there's less blood flow. And this is really important. And this is something we have to help our athletes understand just because you can do something doesn't mean you should just like the first week after my knee subluxed or dislocated, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I stayed home. Could I, uh, the week I was supposed to be in Spain, could I have done sessions that whole week? No. Sunday, Monday, definitely not. Tuesday, probably could have eked out one or two. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I probably could have done a half day, but I didn't. And here's why. The body needs to rest to recover. And this is what a lot of us are missing. And I just actually posted on a, uh, for those of you who know, I'm a precision nutrition certified uh, coach. So the, I'm active, pretty active in the uh, the group that they have there. And someone asked about weight loss stalling. The thing is, is that we have to be patient with things. and And a lot of people are not. And here's where we're going to go with this just because you can do something doesn't mean it's right just because you can take somebody who's massively overweight into 1800 calorie deficit doesn't mean it's right just because you can walk doesn't mean it's right you need to be able to take a step back and say huh where am i in the recovery process what tissues are being rebuilt encourage your athletes who are injured to read. And I think as endurance athletes, for the most part, most of them are going to call you up after injury and say, I already read all this and this is blah, blah, blah. And then you have to be that filter and you have to help them be able to understand good information and bad information. And also understand that just because a doctor is great for one person doesn't mean they're right for you. Uh, now that is not to say that, Number of specific surgeries uh, per week or per month is not important. That is very important. Uh, if I need to have surgery done on my knee, I'm not just going to look for "quote unquote" the best because everybody's coach is the best, everybody's doctor is the best, everybody's surgeon is the best, right? If they have a good recovery, good experience, they get back to what they want in a timeline they think is is decent, that's the best surgeon. And I'm not doing saying this to, to you know take anything away from anybody. I'm just saying ask. How many of these specific surgeries have you done in the last month? How many have you done in your career? What are your outcomes? You know, do you know your numbers offhand? How many complications do you have? You can also talk to the nursing staff. You can also talk to physical therapists who commonly work with these surgeons' patients. This is important. You are your number one advocate. And as a coach, you are the athlete's number one non-self advocate. And we need to be able to recognize that and to be able to balance things. Because when you have an injury, uh, back injury, and we talked about this in the Dr. McGill episode. Changes in mechanics are going to happen because of that, and this is where going out and HTFU, as Tony and I spoke about, and how scary that is, and I think Dina and I as well. You know, HTFU is one thing, but it's also going to lead to an injury, and we need to make sure that we're we're helping people understand it's a process to recover. So the one thing that I'm missing in my recovery that I really wish I had access to is an upper body ergometer or an arm bike. That's the one thing that I'm missing. And there is one gym, it's excessively expensive just to have the one piece of equipment. So i like to not to go with it. So my cardio is crap right now. That's okay. And that's the second or third part for the injury process. You have to teach the athlete to stay small. We want graded exposure and it's small victories. It's okay to sacrifice your cardiovascular fitness to allow the tissues to heal fully and deeply before you start stressing it too much. The second thing is that graded exposure. Little bit by little bit. Okay, we're gonna try riding the bike with your back for three minutes today and see how you feel for the next 48 hours. Three minutes, easy, not hard. Great, you feel great? Okay, now, next time we're gonna try two times three minutes or five minutes, and then we're gonna wait 36 hours. And this is how we are able to get our athletes back, but they like to push the limits. That is what endurance athletes do is push the limits. We need to teach them. We have to teach them. That is our job. If you're an endurance athlete and you're listening to this, which you probably are, our goal is to build pain-free capacity, allowing you to do what you need to do to be best in your sport. That's what we're after. And every capacity in the body needs to be built to push for your specific sport. And Dr. McGill spoke about that. So my knee I'm not just going back to weightlifting. I'm going back to riding a bike. That's an extreme range of motion for a knee. So, whoever the surgeon is, if I wind up going that route, the physical therapist knows it. And she's like, when do you think you're going to get on the trainer? I was like, I don't know. Four weeks. She's like, nope. We're going to get on the trainer when you're ready. I was like, OK, I'm listening. You got my attention. Most like, what? Oh, that's it. I'm leaving. You kidding me? Four weeks. You have to listen. And she even, it's funny because sometimes she's like, I don't have to say this to you. I'm like, no, I need to hear it. Say it. Say it all in detail as if I don't know anything. And she kind of laughs and then she goes through and tells me the whole spiel because it's important for us to hear this again and again and again, just because you know, something doesn't mean that you don't need to hear it again. You know, Bruce Lee, uh, said at the, uh, a long time ago, uh, he said, you know, at the beginning, a kick was a kick and a punch was a punch. Then after a little bit, a kick was more than a kick and a punch was more than a punch. And now, I don't know if he said this, I might be adding words to his mouth. Uh, and now that I've reached the, closer to the point of mastery, a kick is a kick and a punch is a punch. A lot of us nowadays, especially with technology, get stuck in the kick is more than a kick, the punch is more than a punch. Keep it simple, stupid. So I'm going to parlay over to a question that I've actually received from four different coaches who have taken uh, my strength training for uh, cycling success course here. And they ask, how do I calculate? training stress score for the lifts? How do you do that? And the answer is you don't. <laughs> uh, we don't. And the reason is is that we're affecting different, different processes in the body, different parts of the body. We're affecting the nervous system a little bit differently, the connective tissue and the musculature a little bit different. And I don't look at it from a training stress standpoint instead, I like to keep it simple. And actually, uh, one of the coaches actually found a quote from uh, Joe Friel, who said the same thing, don't. (laughs) Um, We don't need to have a training stress score for every single training session, but we do need to listen to how the athlete feels, felt, and is feeling after. So how are they feeling before? How did it feel to them during what, what felt? And at the end, After, how are you feeling the next day? So I've given athletes uh, from around the world uh, for the the group strength training stuff, a variety of workouts and also individuals. And some of them come back and I have to check in and pull it out. Like, how did you feel two days after? Like I was more sore the two days after than the first day. Okay. We're going to dial it back and take the weight away. What? No, it felt great. No, uh, that's not a good thing. The day After you should be sore. Two days after you should be feeling better. We do not want to have delayed onset muscle soreness because that means we're pushing your limits too much. And that's not the point of strength training. And Tony and I uh, had a great conversation with this. We'll also have the video up on our YouTube here after I finish moving here in the next two weeks. Uh, So you can check for that. And the Dr. McGill, we also... uh, recorded. And you'll notice with the Dr. McGill, he did say, if you look here, so you will be able to actually look and see what Dr. McGill is talking about on the HV training YouTube channel. But Tony and I spoke almost at length about how, you know, the the 80% rule, it's five, sixes, and seven, man. Like a lot of athletes, the most common feedback I get from my athletes about strength training, it's too easy. Well, tell me on a scale of one to 10, where is it? Seven. Perfect that's what we want. You're not a powerlifter. You're not an Olympic weightlifter. We don't need eight nines and tens. And even those guys and gals aren't always going eight nines and tens. They go through cycles where they'll have maybe one or two, uh, depending on the type of training that they're tying themselves into. And you'll actually hear, um, strength running podcast. I actually did an interview. Uh, we actually did two with Jason Fitzgerald and it was really good. So, uh, it's going to come out the middle of May. Um, and you'll be able to listen to to me talk with Jason in the middle of May, and uh, Jasons will be out with uh, here on this podcast in June. Um, but I spoke about that is is so many athletes uh, think that it's you know nines and tens, and it's really not there's all different types of approaches for training, uh, when it comes to periodization and it's a matter of choosing the right one for that athlete at that time. So there's the Slee maker. Um, anyhow, you can listen to the, the podcast, but there's a bunch of different types of, uh, approaches for periodization. And the same thing goes for our weights, but one thing the best strength coaches will agree upon, um, The exception being American football players, Uh, those strength coaches generally do want eights and nines more often than not and tens uh, because that's the type of sport they're in. But you also have to look at the length of that athlete's careers or career rather. And the careers tend to be very short. So the NFL also stands for not for long because two, three years, I think, is the average lifespan of alignment. And they have one of the toughest jobs and are some of the strongest guys on the field. And that's just part of that sport. Or it's become a part of that sport culture, I should say. I don't necessarily think it's part of that sport. But it's very high intensity, max efforts. But even then, the greatest strength coaches in that sport also carefully watch load. So they are paying attention not just to intensity, but load. And they vary things. So a lot of different things going on. We're going to tie it back together here and finish up for this shorter episode. Because uh, I've kind of gone on telling my story. And I want to kind of surmise it for you guys. And, and this is important because I know that I tend to be long-winded and I know some people out there, oh man, will he just get back on point. These stories are important. I'm trying to give you these nuggets of information with, with flags, uh, verbal flags and descriptions of what your athletes are actually going through or what you're going to see in the field. And this was great feedback I had for the strength training for triathlon course. Uh, one of the feedback was, uh, I, I there were times where I thought he was getting off topic, but then he would bring it right back, uh, and it was really nice information uh, to hear, or something along those lines. That's what this is, is I didn't just want to be a dry, you know, what do cyclists need when they have an injury? We need to talk about, and I'm reading this, in order of how I wrote it down so you can understand how it came around. You know, what do cyclists need? Changes in mechanics are gonna happen. We have to have guided exposure and stay small. Uh, joints are gonna respond different than soft tissues. Uh, stress is, on the joints is going to move from one tissue to the next as mechanics change. Mobilization is not always the answer. Earning capacity in the body to push in your specific sport and build pain-free capacity and what do you need to do to be your best. So we did none of those in <laughs> order if you look at it because I want to try and weave it together and tell a story for you guys. And if you like it great. If you don't like it, leave a comment, leave feedback, let other people know this is not the podcast for them because I give stories and experiences and talking about my own stuff that I'm going through and what my athletes go through and tell them it's not for them. That's okay. Or say try it but I didn't like it because of X. And The whole point of this is, is to get to the last point here, the last and the first one, actually, what do cyclists need and what do you need to be your best? Well, cyclists, as Dr. McGill and I shared a really good chuckle uh, with, and also Dean, actually, if I'm not mistaken, cyclists don't really know what they need to be best. You know, Dean's talking about similar to what I've been doing here at HVT. He's having his athletes go for a one-on-one assessment. They come in and they work in small groups after that, after he feels they've mastered the movements to a point where they can be put into a group, uh, small group setting and trained. And then he's working on some things that aren't really related to sport, like general strengthening, but then he relates it to power endurance, where he's doing uh, a set weight for a set number of repetitions in a certain amount of time, looking at the bar speed. So that's something, the bar speed is something I use a coach's eye for. I know that's not super scientific. Um, the bar speed... Uh, You know The bar sensei or the tendo units tend to be very expensive and very sensitive, and it just doesn't make sense for me to invest in that because of the amount of traveling I do uh, to do coaching uh, yet, although there are, I hear, a couple different pieces out there. So if anybody's working on a bar speed monitor uh, that is not super sensitive, getting jostled and knocked around in a suitcase or uh, being moved a lot, I would love to hear about that and, and test drive that. Uh, but a lot of it's a coach's eye looking at videos and and timing and looking at how they're moving, how, you know, is it scientifical? No, it's not scientifical if that's even a word. Um, but it is something that you pick up after a a number of years of focused special practice, you know, paying purposeful attention to your practice as Malcolm Gladwell put it and Erickson, uh, in the book about the 10,000 hour rule. And that's what we're going to finish here is a lot of people think that in order for a cyclist, what do you need? What do you need to be passed? I need 10,000 hours on the bike. I need this many miles on the bike in a year. That is so not true and so false. What do you need to be best to recover from your injury? What do you need as a cyclist to recover from your injury? Those aren't always gonna be the same. And it also depends on your level of competition. And I will include myself in this, of course, as always. When it comes to the level of competition, most of us, Actually, most of you are going to be higher than me at this point because I'm five weeks off the bike. I I don't have any cardiovascular fitness. Uh, and even when I was in shape, I wasn't the best cyclist. I was very good at flat, slightly rolling hills, which none of which were in western Pennsylvania or within a reasonable drivable distance. The Aliquippa crit that I wound up finishing 14th in, yeah, I did a great job with that. Uh, I metered my energy. I moved around the pack well, and then I sprinted for far too early because someone behind me wound up yelling, go, go, go. Point being, sorry, that was off tangent. Uh, Having a little bit of fun here. Point being that most of us, we're not professionals. Coming back from an injury, me coming back from my injury to get on the bike and, and coach again or just to ride again fast is the dumbest thing in the world. It is. It is the most idiotic thing. And you may be sitting there as a coach, what are you talking about? Brody, you've lost it. You're a cycling coach. This makes me a better coach because I have to learn how to coach somebody to be a better cyclist off the bike. It's making me better. Whereas if I get onto the bike too early, yeah, I, I'll push through pain. Yeah, I'm going to get back. What's going to happen 5, 10, 15 years down the road? And I've, I'm now at that point in my Coaching career. And I'm just now having this epiphany uh, the last three weeks, four weeks, because I have a number of athletes that I had worked with in the past where had come to me and turned heel because they didn't like what I had to tell them because I told them the hard truth. You should not be doing Ironman because your body is not moving well. You're not strong enough. Your mechanics are crap and you're compensating. I have seen in the last three weeks a number of athletes uh, reconstructive foot surgery, three. Reconstructive knee surgery or knee replacement, three. Hip replacement, two. Uh, and another one, another two, three, four athletes who are posting that they're thinking that they're going to have to have multiple surgeries now. And I, I have to bite my tongue because that's the path that they chose. And there's nothing you can do about that as a coach, and there's nothing more frustrating than seeing the injuries come to fruition that were easily prevented if the athlete would just break out of doing what they enjoy doing. And that is our job. That is where we're at in cycling. That is where we're at in triathlon is we finally are starting to open up our eyes. Strength training done properly will help. Squats and lunges and hamstring curls are cool and they make your lower legs pop and look great. Where are you going to be in 15 years? Are you actually making yourself a stronger cyclist or are you just burying yourself because you want to be vain? And if that's your choice, cool. I'm not going to punish you for it and no other coach should. Nobody should chew you out and tell you, well, you're an idiot, and I'm right, and you're wrong, but no one person is right. No one person is wrong. There are thousands of ways to accomplish something, but there are better ways of doing things that are outside of our comfort zone sometimes, and other times we know our truth. The doctor and the surgeon, the doctors and, and the physical therapist, rather, that I've seen have all been overwhelmed by how well I know my body and how I can pinpoint this. I've had strength coaches after my initial one who are like, you can't possibly know that. I'm like, I'm telling you it is this muscle. I'm telling you it's right there. And then we've gotten like the, the x-ray or the uh, fluorescent MRI for my hip. And the surgeon's like, no shit, <laughs> you were right. I'm like, I know I'm right, I know my body. And we have to trust our athletes. There are some athletes where you I have a couple clients right now. Where did you feel that exercise? Glutes, hamstrings, lower back? legs. Can you, can you point to it? just, just legs. Cool. That's our set point. And this is where I want to wrap it up today. What we need to do as a whole, as humanity, not just as cyclists. What's right for me isn't necessarily right for someone else. I can almost guarantee you that one of you out there listening is a coach who gets high mileage on the bike and you're Your income greatly depends on you actually being riding your bike numerous days a week. For you, the decision that I made to, okay, I'm going to be off the bike for as long as I need to, to get this going. And I'm just going to have to face the music and become the best coach I can not being on the bike. That may not work for some of you just by how you work. Cool. I am not going to tell you you're wrong. I am going to say, is that going to be the best long-term? Because it's probably going to lead you to a knee replacement or probably not. I don't know. But looking at it from a pragmatic standpoint, I totally understand your your call. That's your livelihood. If you don't get on the bike and ride, you don't make any money. I get it. But what do you need to be your best? Is it what you're comfortable with? Or is it something different? And the thing is, is that every athlete at different points of their career are going to have a very different answer. And a little bit of a soft sell here, but that's why uh, I've invested in a number of products over the years uh, to help people be able to do better. And I never do a hard sell, so we'll just stop it at that. I don't want to make a whole big uh, salesy thing, but the bottom line is as a coach for your own practice, invest in new technologies, try them. Don't sell the farm. When I first opened, I I was trained as an exercise physiologist. I so wanted a metabolic heart. I so wanted it. Thankfully, Tim, one of my my friends and mentors, he's had many years in the field. Like, you know, he didn't slap me in the face, but he slapped me on the shoulder. He's like, "You're an idiot. You don't need a five thousand dollar metabolic cart. Besides, they're not that accurate." You know, how many VO two maxes could you test and could you actually sell? I was like, "Oh, I can do a lot." Thankfully, during that time, someone else who had bought a bought a metabolic cart uh, and was touring the Midwest at the time came through. And guess how many out of all 15 of the athletes I was working with at, at the time came in for metabolic, uh, VO2 max test one. And I was so convinced, oh no, I can sell like, a uh, you know, I could sell it. You know, find tools that make sense for you in your practice, but don't jump on the bandwagon. Someone just asked me again today about blood flow restrictive training because of my knee. I'm like, for, for injury, for what I'm going through, it may be applicable because it will allow metabolic stress to happen. That's one of the ways we can grow the muscles. Uh, and if I can't get necessarily full range of motion, that's actually not a bad idea. I'm not there yet, but that's not necessarily a bad idea. Whereas someone else asked me just a couple weeks ago, hey, man, I want to improve my, my biceps. What do you think about blood flow restrictive training? I'm like, that's stupid. Just don't. You don't really need to do that. It's a fad. You don't need it yet. Uh, come back to me in five years. Uh, so there is a right answer for everybody. And that was a conversation, by the way. I said that, and he's like, wow, that's really insulting. I'm coming to you with this cool new thing. And we sat down. We talked about it. I was like, here's why I believe this. Prove me wrong. And he was like, what? No, I'm coming to you because I want to know what the answer is. I was like, prove me wrong. Go out and do your research and prove me wrong. Because then you'll know the real answer for you. You might come back and say, no, you know what? You're wrong, Coach Brody, and I want to do this. Cool. You did the research. You know your body best, or you're learning your body. Let's try it. So that's the big question. What do you need to be best? And that's going to be the title and is the title of today's episode. What do you need to be best? So to be completely honest with you guys right now, guys and gals who are listening, first of all, thank you. What I need to be most beneficial uh, or to be the best and is the most beneficial for me right now is to rest. I've cut down my in-person sessions. My energy levels are extremely low. And I know it's because my knee is recovering. It's it's white tissue. It takes energy. And it's so hard for us as endurance athletes to slow down. And the important thing is, is that our social network, our friends, our family, our fellow riders just reach out and keep us in the loop. Um, there was literally one text message that someone just sent me a funny meme. It just made my day. And they knew I was injured. They didn't say anything else. Like, oh, how are you? I'm so sorry. That Just sent me a meme. And then two days later, I, I messaged them back. I was like, that made my day. Yeah, I know two days and I'm broken at home on the on, on bed, but still, just follow me here. Um, that's part of the process. Uh, and they were like, I thought you'd enjoy that. I'm glad it did. And it's those small things. So as coaches... For your injured athletes, know them, send them presents. Amazon makes it easy, man. Like, ah, that's one of the things that I do. It's a small bonuses. Uh, You know, sometimes it's a a 50 cent card, sometimes it's a handwritten postcard. Do a little bit of extra in your coaching uh, to help your athletes feel special uh, because they are, because they chose you and you're a great coach and they deserve to know that, not just because you see them or you're talking to them. You know, out out of the blue, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, a $5 Starbucks gift card or whatever it may be that. You know, just let them know that you're thinking of them. The same thing goes, especially for those of you who are riders and triathletes out there and runners. Same thing for your spouses or significant others. They sacrifice a lot of their personal time. They sacrifice time with you so you can go out and do what you do. Make sure you let them know with the small things. Don't wait for the big, you know, year-end party or A event party. Small things. You know, book yourself a weekend off and take them away for a bed and breakfast or a massage. There is nothing else in this world outside that is better than human connection. Money can be made and lost. Experiences cannot. Either you have the experience or you don't. So it's not something you can make up at a later date. Now is the time. You're only going to be as old or as smart. Okay, maybe not as smart. You're going to be as old as you are today. You're going to have that mindset today. Enjoy it. Be responsible. Make sure you listen to your body. Learn your body and enjoy it. So that's it for today. Please make sure that you like and subscribe, review, share us. We are still growing. And stay tuned for next week. On May 2nd, we're going to be releasing a bike fitter interview. So we have Camille Abdurrahman. And it is a great interview. A lot of stuff to learn there. It was really, really nice that he took the time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. He travels around the world fitting people. Uh, We had so much uh, to talk about. So I'm really excited that you guys are going to um, see... Uh, what it is to be able to work with your athletes to have a great recovery process. Talk to you next week.
0: That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HB Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.